I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on daily life, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. And this week we're actually going to be talking about going outside the walls in a literal sense, not just a figurative sense uh, evoking evangelism, but in the sense of, hey, it's, it's January, it's cold outside, let's all go outside um, maybe to the coldest place we can find and go uh, and go walk around for a bit. How about? Doesn't that sound great? Uh, the March for Life is just around the corner, and uh, there's one near you. Uh, I w- was looking on the March for Life website, marchforlife.org, uh, which is the National March for Life there in D.C., but they also list all of the, the state and local marches there. And uh, there were over 70 different uh, marches for life uh, around the United States in in addition to the, the National March there in D.C. Of course, there is one in your area. Uh, if you're listening in Oklahoma, we have the, the Tulsa March for Life uh, in its ninth year. This year, Abby Johnson is going to be the main speaker there, and she's joining us on the show later today to talk about her conversion as she left the abortion industry back in 2009 and then has dedicated her life in recent years to helping other women and other clinic workers find their way out of the abortion industry. And if you're listening to us out in Iowa on Iowa Catholic Radio, uh, you have a march. It's a little bit of a drive. It's okay. Uh, there in Cedar Rapids, uh, there is a march there. So I'm going to put a link up on our social media to this this website, marchforlife.org, uh, and then the substructure, it's hiding a little bit. But the page has lists of all of the, the various marches, regional, local, and state uh, and they have links to their websites and, and the, the scheduled times because you want to make sure uh, that if you, if you go to the trouble of going out in the cold to stand witness to life, that you're not out there alone because they do fall on different dates. For instance, the, uh, the Tulsa March for Life is tomorrow uh, on the 14th out in front of Holy Family Cathedral in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that's 8th and Boulder. Uh, and it begins there at 1 o'clock. Uh, there's going to be a probably a quarter of a mile march. It's not that bad, not that far. Uh, and of course, we'll be joined there by Abby Johnson. Uh, but if you if you go out tomorrow and you're in Cedar Rapids, you're going to be alone because their march isn't until January 21st. Uh, so you want to make sure to to find it at the right time and the right place. Now, if you followed outside the walls for any length of time, uh, you know that this is a topic that we talk about on a semi regular basis. There's a lot of different angles to look at. We've looked at legislation. We've talked about 40 Days for Life many times because I'm just really fond of their style of advocacy. Uh, we've talked uh, with uh, adoption agencies. We've t- we just You go through the archives and you will find that this topic comes up at least as much, if not more, than any other topic we've addressed on the show. And today I want to dig in a little bit to why that is. I grew up in the evangelical culture back before I was Catholic, uh, and in some ways, this was the very first thing that I ever really picked up on about Catholicism is uh, my parents saying amicable things about Catholics because of the pro-life stance. Um, I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought to Catholicism before that, and really it didn't even register a whole lot at that point in time, but it, it came back in later as I began looking uh, at the church. But I grew up in this uh, 
evangelical culture of, uh, you know, purity rings and courtship and I kiss dating goodbye, and also a very strong pro-life culture. So we would go on the, the life chain where you'd hold up signs along one of the longest main streets in town. And uh, we had a walk for life. We didn't have the march for life where people would sponsor us and we'd walk so far. And uh, the, the more that we walked, the more money we raised for local crisis pregnancy. I had the T-shirts, you know, I, um, as a former fetus, I oppose abortion, that kind of thing. And I would wear them out everywhere because that's uh, what was around me and my culture. Uh, but I remember the day that I walked into the, the local gas station and the person behind the counter got very defensive at one of my shirts and began talking and even tearing up a little. And I, it was the first time that I ever met someone who had had an abortion. And uh, in her defensiveness, she said something along the lines of, um, you'll do everything that you say you'll never do. You'll, you'll do it. You'll do everything that you say you'll never do. And um, at that point in time, I couldn't fathom that that would be the case because I was in this evangelical culture and I had very strong values and uh, I shared it with that culture I was around. But, you know, lo and behold, as I grew and I uh, grew into that shirt, as it were, as I got older, I found myself as the other half of an unplanned pregnancy. And uh, all of a sudden, I began to understand the fear and the uncertainty and the feeling of absolutely being overwhelmed. And thankfully, there were people in my life and in the life of the mother who gave us hope, who showed us the way through, and uh, our daughter was placed for adoption. But so many people don't have that support network. If you're just joining us, I'm Timothy Putnam, and you're listening to Outside the Walls, and I'm going into way more detail than I expected to today. So here I am, and I find myself uh, in the middle of an unplanned pregnancy. And my whole scenario, my whole understanding of this issue shifts because I begin to understand that there are so many people who find themselves in this fearful situation who don't have a support network. And I began to understand how someone in that scenario with their life turned upside down with no support network could make the unfathomable decision uh, for abortion that they might, I could see how they would think that that may be the only way out if they didn't have people to gather around them, to give them hope, and to let them know that they could do this and that it was going to be okay and to look at the broader picture instead of being caught up uh, with the narrow focus of crisis management. And it was through that experience that I truly became pro-life. Before that, I was still against abortion. And I could tell you all the reasons for it, and I could tell you why... Uh, people were uh, misinformed and that they all they needed to do was make the right choice uh, and give life to this child and all would be well. I could, I could articulate all that and I would even cling to the term pro-life because that was the term that was used by, uh, by the people I was around. And I would advocate for life. I'd do all of the different events throughout the year. But it was in that moment that my eyes shifted from this nebulous life to a specific life. It was the daughter that I had that I, I wasn't able to parent, and I, uh, she was given up for adoption. Uh, I still have contact with her, but now it was a very specific life. It was this potential that I saw in those eyes in the hospital. It was this, 
this true, tangible, actual life that came from an unplanned pregnancy that I could look at and say, no, there's, there's hope and it's good. And I've walked through this and you can too. Now, all of a sudden, everything shifted because I didn't have an opponent. I didn't have someone to correct. I had someone to inform. I had something good to give, that experience of my own life. And this is the difference, I think, between the culture wars and evangelism. Uh, the, the end result may be the same thing. The, the opinion held at the end of the line may be the same thing, but the way that we get there is different because in the one, we're combating an opponent, and in the other, we're sharing life. We're sharing the good, the beautiful, and the true, and that is life-giving. So this week, as you uh, are making your preparations, as you're going to get bundled up and go, whether you're going to D.C. or to a regional march or uh, going to mark the day in some other way, as you go out to these marches, all it takes is a small shift in perspective. Don't go out to, uh, to protest. Uh, don't go out to, to make your voice heard uh, or even to be a visible witness. Rather, go out there and pray. Take this time, this, this journey, however long the, the march is where you are, and make each step a prayer. Make it a prayer for the, the mothers and the fathers who are facing an unplanned pregnancy, something whether, whether they didn't know the pregnancy was going to happen or whether there's a disability they didn't know about. Uh, whatever the case is, wherever they find themselves, they need your prayers because they're in a fearful situation and they, they need someone out there praying for them and pray that God would bring around them those people who would encourage them and give them hope within their sphere of influence, that they would have courage to be able to give life even in frightening circumstances. And yes, pray for legislators because uh, while it's not going to be the thing that solves the problem entirely, it is a piece of the puzzle. So pray for our legislators to have the courage to make legislation that stands for life and pray for our judges. And yes, pray for those who are working in the clinic because as Abby Johnson will tell you when uh, just a moment as she's going to come on the show. Uh, they need your prayers. These are, are people who may find themselves working for a clinic. It's not what they wanted to do with their life, and yet that's where they find themselves. Maybe they actually truly think that they're being helpful, and so pray that God would give them wisdom, that he would let them see truly what's going on. So take this time where you're out marching and take it to prayer. Because prayer is the thing that will make all the difference in this issue. Don't go anywhere. There is so much more to today's show. We're going to be talking with Abby Johnson. She's a former Planned Parenthood clinic director. Now she's helping others leave the abortion industry. It's going to be a fascinating discussion. She's also going to be in Tulsa tomorrow at the Tulsa March for Life. So make plans to be there if you're within driving distance. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Glad to have you on the show today. We're talking today with Abby Johnson. She was once a clinic director for Planned Parenthood down in Texas, and now is an outspoken advocate for life and a way maker to help people in the current abortion uh, industry to exit that industry. Uh, she's got a couple of books that she's written. Uh, one is Unplanned. The others are called The Walls Are Talking. Uh, you can find out more information about her over at abbyjohnson.org. Abby, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So first of all, uh, you're from Texas, and, and I grew up in Texas, so there's that, uh, that, that connection. You're down there, and uh, you were in College Station, so Gigum, I guess, is the appropriate thing to say. Yeah, well, we we used to live in College Station. Now we live in Austin, so we're sort oh. of in the enemy territory here. But indeed, um, you switch but, sides. Yeah, we love it. We love it here in Austin, and um, it's good because you know, in College Station, it's sort of like everybody was conservative, everybody was pro life. There wasn't much of a fight to be had. But here in Austin, very secular, very pro choice, capital city, and so there's a lot of uh, fertile ground around here, and. Uh, lots of work to do, so I love it. Great. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, we're coming up on the 45th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, where uh, abortion was on demand, was made legal throughout the United States. Um, and, and we've seen the fruit of that over these last 45 years. But uh, as I've been involved in pro-life advocacy, one of the things that I have noticed is such an intense focus on the unborn that sometimes we lose sight of the personhood and the dignity of those who are in the industry. Uh, and so I wanted mm -hmm. to talk to you a little bit about your experiences when you were in the, uh, it, working for Planned Parenthood, working at the clinic. What was it that drew you outside uh, to cross the street, to talk with those who were protesting abortion and to really engage uh, with repentance with seeing what it was that was uh lacking and what drew you so i think you know anytime there's human tragedy um people look for someone to blame mm -hmm. that's very natural and so when roby wade was made law of the land in 1973 um i think naturally the police movement was looking for someone to blame and so you know, it was sort of, well, we're, we'll blame these women, right? Because they're having the abortions and they should know better. And um, so it's, it's their, their, their fault, their problem. Um, and then there was sort of the rise of the pregnancy center movement in the mid 80s, 90s. And they said, hey, look, guys, if we want to save the baby, we have to reach the mother. We cannot, you know, demonize these mothers. We can't vilify them. We have to show them love and support and, and give them resources and options. And so people got on board with that. And then they said, okay, well, okay, if we're not going to blame the mom, who are we going to blame? And I think the sort of the natural tendency then was to blame the people inside of these clinics. And, and what happened was what I, what I see is that pro-lifers began doing to the abortion clinic worker, what we accuse them of doing to the unborn child, and that's dehumanization. So now we were in this cycle of dehumanization where, um, you know, those in the clinic are dehumanizing the unborn, those on the sidewalk are dehumanizing those in the clinics. And, and then, you know, it just becomes this cycle and it's unhealthy. And, and in the end, 
conversions aren't taking place. Right. Um, lives aren't being saved. And so, you know, what do we do about that? Well, you know, when I worked at Planned Parenthood, one of the things that I, that I have always applauded those who stood outside of my clinic was that they, I applaud them because they always reached out to me as a person and not as an abortion clinic worker, not as someone that they needed to fix, um, nothing like that, but just genuinely reached out to me like they were making an attempt to befriend me. Hmm. And um, and that was interesting, but that was different because what we were told by Planned Parenthood, what we were told by the pro-choice lobbyists and movement was that, you know, pro-lifers don't care about you. They want to harm you as an abortion clinic worker. Um, they just want to intimidate you, you know, all these negative things. But here was this group of people who were telling me, we care about you. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. If you ever want to leave, we're going to help you find another job. And that was never anything I thought I was, that was never a situation I thought I was going to find myself in, but then I did. Mm -hmm. And so because they had always reached out to me as a friend and not an opponent, or not someone who was trying to fix me, um, a safe place for me to turn when I left. And so that's exactly what I did. And, um, and you know, they were the first people in the pro-life movement to befriend me and to show me that I could trust people in the pro-life movement, that there, there, there were safe people in the pro-life movement who were there for me and were there for the other people that I worked with. Yeah. If you're just joining us, we're talking today with Abby Johnson. You can find out more about her over at abbyjohnson.org. Now, you're talking about these positive experiences that you had. I find that really encouraging, but I also, in my experience, that's fairly rare uh, of the different groups that go out. Uh, to have someone who, one, is willing to uh, approach you, and two, uh, to have a, a space where you were you felt comfortable having someone walk up and, and actually engage in conversation with you. Did you have any negative experiences as well with uh, perhaps some uh, of the different groups that came out to, to protest? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, when I first started working at Planned Parenthood in 2001, and from 2001 until about 2004, um, things on the clinic, on the, on the clinic sidewalk were very hostile. Um, there was a guy dressed up like the Grim Reaper. There were people out there um, that were, you know, calling the women names who were walking in, telling them they need to keep their legs closed. They would, you know, yell at us, call us baby killers, we're going to hell. There were people out there with, you know, big six-foot graphic images, bloody babies, and it, it was a very different scene. In 2004, uh, 40 Days for Life made its first appearance, and they really sort of took over the sidewalk, and it became a very different environment. So now all of a sudden we had people, um, you know, the signs came down, and uh, the people with the images went away, and the Grim Reaper guy wasn't there anymore. And so they sort of staked their claim in front of the clinic, and that was devastating to us at Planned Parenthood. And that's something I think people don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's easy to get sympathy when there's crazy stuff taking place on the sidewalk. Right. It's easy for the community, even people who are pro-life in the community to go, 
oh my gosh, I don't like abortion, but have you seen what happens outside of that clinic? That is crazy, right? And now they, they, they have this misguided sympathy into the clinic because they have forgotten what's taking place inside those clinic walls, right? right? Because now it's just this big spectacle on the sidewalk. When 40 Days for Life came and, and there were peaceful sidewalk advocates, that was when we actually started to see a decline in our abortion numbers. We saw a decline in patients coming to us for other services, you know, our other family planning services, um, because they were there, you know, with resources, information. There was never a save that I know of that took place on that sidewalk before 40 Days for Life came. Because when you have a big six-foot sign in front of your face and you're trying to reach out to a woman, that's frightening to her. And so what would happen, the abortion clinic became the safe haven. That's not what you want. And so the dynamic completely changed. In fact, the di- and, and then the sympathy went away. Then people remembered, oh, wait, I know why people are out there praying, right? It wasn't crazy anymore. It was deliberate. It was prayerful. It was peaceful. And we lost so much support from the community that we actually had to stop doing our annual fundraiser in Bryan College Station because we simply didn't have enough people who were willing to come. Mm-hmm. You know, in the book of Romans, we, we see that uh, Paul says that the kindness of the Lord is to lead us to repentance. And I think that we forget that sometimes. We want to we wanna be active and we want to see things change. And so we try to do things in our own effort rather than mirroring uh, the, the absolute compassion of God to all the persons involved in, in this transaction, uh, which ultimately is what leads us to repentance. Yes, absolutely. And I understand the frustration. Look, I, I go out and I, I'm, I sidewalk counsel in front of abortion clinics all across this country. And, and I was recently in front of a clinic in Houston and it's a, a, a terrible, terrible place. And, um, I understand Mm -hmm. the feeling of helplessness and the feeling of hopelessness. I get it because I feel it. When I was standing out there in front of Houston Women's Clinic and I'm watching these women go in and I'm watching them come out and they can barely walk on their own. They're so drugged and they're vomiting outside uh, of their car and the, the workers are just shoving them into the car and sending them away, not even not even treating them as as with decency. I understand the the feelings of frustration, but when we are frustrated and we are angry, there is no room for light. And on that sidewalk, we have to be light to these women who are walking in and to the workers who are going in and out of those clinic doors. If they only see frustration and anger in us, then they don't see hope. They don't see the light of Christ. And that is the number one reason that we are there. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to this conversation with Abby Johnson, founder of the ministry, and then there were none. Find out more about them at abortionworker.com. Also, look into Abby's books. You can find those at abbyjohnson.org. Join the conversation over at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. And get ready to march for life in your area. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And today, uh, all around the U.S., people are gearing up uh, for the, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, 45 years this year. Uh, and all over, there are events taking place. There's the, the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. There's a, a Walk for Life on the East Coast. And regional marches all over the place, including one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where, Abby, you'll be speaking. Uh, that, that's going to be happening uh, this Sunday. It's a little early, earlier than the other marches. Uh, this Sunday, the 14th of January at 1 p.m., uh, right in front of Holy Family Cathedral. That's 8th and Boulder in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we're going to be absolutely pleased to be welcoming Abby Johnson uh, as our keynote speaker. And we have her here today on the show. Abby, thanks for being with us. Oh, thanks again for having me. Now, you have a little bit of a connection uh, with, with Tulsa via Bishop David Condorla, who you knew back in your college station days as, uh, as Father David. Tell me that first time that you met Father David. Give me, a, give me the skinny. Okay, let's see. I met him for the first time, actually. Um, it wasn't long after I left Planned Parenthood. And when I met him, I knew who he was because he frequently was out in front of our abortion clinic praying. And um, he was one of the few priests that would come out. And, and we would have women, when he would be out there, we'd have women call and, uh, you know, he was out there in his clerics and everything, and, and women would call and say, uh, do you know when the priest is going to leave? Because I don't <laughs> want to go in while he's there. And so uh, I knew Father David uh, well <laughs> from the other yeah. side of the fence. Um, and so the first time I met him, it was really, it was really a joy um, to be able to just give him a hug and, and embrace him and thank him for his prayers. And, and then it was actually at his, when we entered the castle, it was actually at his parish where we went through RCIA, and so he was a part of that journey as well. And um, it's we were very, very excited um, when he was named bishop to Tulsa. Very sad to see him go, but um, very well-deserved, and he's an amazing man, a holy man, and um, you guys are very blessed to have him. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit about your exit from Planned Parenthood. You worked there for a number of years. Uh, you had become the director of the clinic there in College Station. And now you have this uh, this conscience that's calling you to leave. Uh, this is not just about uh, deciding that uh, that abortion is wrong. Now it's also your livelihood that's at stake. And you're, you're exiting uh, from that industry into the unknown. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. And God provided for you and, and now has given you this amazing ministry uh, to approach others in the same place and to give them an exit strategy, a way out, uh, support as they exit the abortion industry. Talk a little bit about your own uh, conversion out of the industry. What, what were you thinking? What, uh, what were you worried about in terms of uh, being able to provide uh, for your family? And then talk a little bit about what you're doing now with and then there were none. Sure, yeah. I mean, I was scared, honestly, to leave my job. I was scared to leave my income. I made a lot of money working at Planned Parenthood. Um, My husband was a teacher, and so I thought, oh, my gosh, how are we going to survive on his income alone? What am I going to do? 
it was it was very scary. But I knew that I had to leave. I mean, once you see the truth, it's it's just it's blinding. I mean, you you have to get out. And um, thankfully, I had been raised in a Christian home, and so I had, you know developed a relationship with Christ as, as a young child and, um, and, you know, throughout high school and had fallen away from my faith. But um, I knew I had that foundation in Christ. And so I knew growing up, you know, I was taught that if you're faithful to God, then he won't let you fail. He won't let you fall. And so I, I knew that making this decision to leave was a decision that would please God. And, um, and so I just had to trust in that, that he was going to provide for our family. And he did in a very, you know, unexpected way. Um, you know, me doing this work now, this is never what I expected to do. Uh, but it, it's, it's been, it's been beautiful um, to be on this journey and to really see that, you know, our, sometimes we, we have really wonderful plans, but um, you know, God's plans are always better than ours. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us today, we're talking with Abby Johnson. And so now you've left Planned Parenthood. You've left the clinic there in 2009. What happens next? When I left and, uh, you know, a couple years later, I thought there has to be other people like me who want to leave the industry but just don't know how. You know, I remember hearing my boss threatening people, you know, if you leave us, we're going to give you a bad reference. You're never going to get another job. You've worked in the abortion industry. You know, you just need to stay here. And so it was sort of these threatening comments. I thought there have to be people out there who are feeling the same way, who want to leave, but they're scared. And they're scared they're not going to get another job or maybe they're single parents or whatever it may be. And so we started and then there were none with that in mind. And we didn't know how successful it would be or if it would be successful at all. Um, But in the past five years, we have had over 400 abortion clinic workers leave the industry and come through and then there were none. We provide comprehensive support for them, transitional financial assistance, legal support, emotional support, um, spiritual support. We have a professional resume writer on staff. We have professional headhunters that work with us to get them jobs. And so we try to we try to really tailor our programs to the individual client's needs when they come to us. Um, we also provide um, all expense paid healing retreats for our workers, just similar to like a Project Rachel, um, but this is tailored just for those who've worked in the abortion industry. It's really amazing to see their lives transform um, once they make that step and um, they trust that, you know, we're going to be, we're not going to let them down. We're here to be their safety net um, and that God's not going to let them down. Mm -hmm. And isn't this just like God to provide for us someone who's walked the path in front of us? Uh, and so you, through this ministry, through And Then There Were None, and all of those who have come through it, uh, this is the seeds of hope uh, for for everyone to come after. Once the path has been trailblazed, it's much easier to go down that path. And you've blazed that path with abortionworker.com, this ministry, And Then There Were None. I know that all the services that you offer are confidential and that they're free. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any names changed to protect the innocent? Any particular story that just stands out to you in your years there of someone who's come through the ministry? You know, um, one of the stories I think that's particularly heartbreaking 
um, was one of um, a woman who went into a clinic in Baltimore, Maryland, as a Planned Parenthood, and uh, to have an abortion procedure. She was naturally pregnant with quadruplets, Mm. and um, her boyfriend was forcing her into having an abortion. And she had the abortion, and she was in her second trimester. And during the abortion procedure, the babies began just falling out of her body. And there was a group of clinic workers um, in the room while this was taking place. And all six of those workers that witnessed that abortion procedure ended up leaving and coming through our ministry. And we drained that clinic of almost all of their workers because of that one experience. And it's things like that where I think even in the midst of tragedy, God can still work on someone's heart. No one is too far um, for him to reach. No one is too far gone for him to stir their heart. And, And so it was really... It was just sort of a beautiful reminder that even these children, even though their death is a tragedy and it's very sad, these babies did not die in vain Mm -hmm. because their death brought about new life in in six women who who witnessed their death. And and that's just that's the beauty of Christ. That's the beauty of redemption. That's that's the beauty of, of the gospel life. Yeah. Now, if someone wants to get involved with the work you're doing with And Then There Were None, what are some practical ways that they can use your materials or, or help, uh, help the ministry to, to uh, grow in success? Okay, so on our website, abortionworker.com, we have some um, printable resources on our website. We would love for um, you guys in the area who are listening to print out some of the letters um, the printable letters that are there, mail them into your local Planned Parenthood facilities, even if they're only abortion referring, if they're not abortion clinics, they refer for abortion. We're still there to help those workers. Um, mail them into your local abortion facilities. I know there are a few in Oklahoma. Um, and we have um, even printable signs. So you could take that, That um, those of you that go and, and pray on the sidewalk, you could take the digital uh, format of those signs, take it to your local FedEx or your local printing company, and they can print those on a sign. You can hold those signs out in front of the abortion facility where you go to pray just to let the workers know that you're here for them as well. We also have a prayer team that you can sign up uh, to be a part of where we pray specifically once a month for the needs of our workers. Um, you can find out about all of that on our website. We also have an app on Google Play and um, the App Store and iTunes. Um, just you type in ATTWN, and that will give you updates about our ministry, different prayer requests um, that we have, and you can also join our prayer team through the app as well. We've been talking today with Abby Johnson. Go take a look at her website, abbyjohnson.org, and the work that she's doing through And Then There Were None, abortionworker.com. And then if you're in the Tulsa area or within driving distance, come on out to the Tulsa March for Life this Sunday, January 14th at 1 p.m., and hear her keynote speech. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and today we talked with Abby Johnson. She was a clinic director for Planned Parenthood in Texas and is now an outspoken advocate for life and has dedicated her life to helping others in the abortion industry find their way out of that industry. Uh, Her ministry is called And Then There Were None, and you can find out more information about them by going to abortionworker.com. You can find ways that you can help uh, support the work that they do, but also ways that you can use the resources they have available to make a difference right where you are in your hometown. Now, if you missed any part of this episode or you want you know someone who really needs to hear this and you want to share it with them, have no fear. All the episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Not only that, but there's more to the conversation that you've not yet heard. Uh, Abby and I talked a little bit longer, and I have an unbroadcast segment just waiting for you and for all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Support the Show link, Patreon it says, and find out uh, how you can support the show and get cool stuff in the process. For as little as $2 a month, you can find your way into some extra content. The uh, All the extra unbroadcast segments, there are at the $5 a month level. So for less than one tall coffee from Starbucks, uh, you can get four unbroadcast segments, or five, depending on how many, you know, if we get five Saturdays, you get five episodes uh, so by all means, there's that. There's uh, there's other levels where you are entered into drawings and giveaways and and whatnot. So go take a look there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link and see what you might do to help us bring you this show week in and week out. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. And I always love it when they, without too much effort whatsoever, they just line up perfectly. And that was certainly the case for our reading from Scripture today, uh, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. In chapter 2, we hear, Jesus went out along the sea, and all the crowd came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the customs post. Jesus said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed Jesus. While he was at table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners sat with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Some scribes who were Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors and said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this and said to them, Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners." That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark. And it's so easy for us to forget this. Uh, we, we go to church and we worship Christ and we partake of the Eucharist and we participate in prayers. And we like to see holiness. We put the, uh, the saints before our eyes so that that's what we focus on. And, and that's a good thing because as we see holiness, it's modeled for us and then we can put it on and we can walk in it and we can strive for it. But Paul reminds us, as he talks about those who won't see the kingdom of heaven, he goes through this long list of of, uh, terms and talks about the worst of the worst sins. And he says, all these people, the liars and the drunks and the idolaters and et cetera, goes on down the list, shall not see the kingdom of God. And he stops right in the middle and says, and such were some of you. And it's, man, we, we, like, we like hearing that first part, 
uh, because it makes us feel better because I'm not like that person over there. And yet, and yet such were some of you. You see, wherever Christ finds us, he calls us and asks us to leave something behind. He calls us to follow him. And every time that we follow after Christ as disciples, we have to leave something behind. For Levi, it was the tax collector's desk, right? For Abby, it was her position as a director of a Planned Parenthood. For you and me, it's going to be something different. It's going to be something that is just as hard for us to leave as it was for Levi and for Abby to leave their thing. If you hear the voice of God calling to you, nudging you, speaking with you through his Holy Spirit, you can be assured that you fall in this category of the sick and the unrighteous. Because that's who Jesus calls. And as we follow him, he brings us health and he brings us wholeness. But may we never get to the point where we forget that such were some of us, that you and I have our things that are worthy of damnation. They're worthy of hell. And yet Christ calls us out of darkness and into his light. And that, that call should be something that doesn't drive us into a battle, into a culture war with those who don't share it, but it should be something that drives us into evangelization, something that we are so thrilled and so uh, relieved for the mercy that God has given to us that we would offer it to all, uh, whether or not they agree with us, whether or not we see them as that perfect examples of saints, and really especially because they fall short of sainthood as we do so often. And I love our reading from church history today. It comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I, Pope and Martyr, here on Outside the Walls today. And in it, it draws us back to that initial meditation that we had, that love is the most excellent way. Love is the reason that we do the things we do, not out of, uh, of envy, not out of strife, not out of culture war, but out of the fact that we have been loved by Christ and we are now called to, to share that love with all of those around us. And so here's that letter from St. Clement I. Let the man truly possessed by the love of Christ keep his commandments. Who can express the binding power of divine love? Who can find the words for the splendor of its beauty? Beyond all description are the heights to which it lifts us. Love unites us to God. It cancels innumerable sins, has no limits to its endurance, bears everything patiently. Love is neither servile nor arrogant. It does not provoke schisms or form cliques, but always acts in harmony with others. By it, all God's chosen ones have been sanctified. Without it, it is impossible to please him. Out of love, the Lord took us to himself. Because he loved us and it was God's will, our Lord Jesus Christ gave his life's blood for us. He gave his body for our body, his soul for our soul. See then, beloved, what a great and wonderful thing love is and how inexpressible its perfection. Who are worthy to possess it unless God makes them so? To him, therefore, we must turn, begging of his mercy, that there may be found in us a love 
free from human partiality and beyond reproach. Every generation from Adam's time to ours has passed away, but those who by God's grace were made perfect in love have a dwelling now among the saints. And when at last the kingdom of Christ appears, they will be revealed. Take shelter in your room for a little while, says the scripture, until my wrath subsides. Then I will remember the good days and will raise you from your graves. Happy are we, beloved, if love enables us to live in harmony and in the observance of God's commandments. For then it will also gain for us the remission of our sins. Scripture pronounces, Happy those whose transgressions are pardoned, whose sins are forgiven. Happy the man, it says, to whom the Lord imputes no fault, on whose lips there is no guile. This is the blessing given those whom God has chosen through Jesus Christ our Lord. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I, Pope and Martyr. Let us not forget this, that love, love is essential. The greatest of these, out of faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And so we need to be infused with that divine gift of love. We need to be centered around that divine gift of love. Because if we have truth and we go out and we speak truth with the prophet's tongue and we tell the whole world that what it's doing is wrong, but we have not love, then we are a clanging symbol. And it amounts to nothing. If we go out and we march for life or we go stand in front of an abortion clinic or we even sit around a dinner table with, uh, with our family or our friends or acquaintances and we speak the absolute truth, whether it be about abortion or some other issue, and we don't waver in that truth, but we speak it without love, then we failed. Because that new commandment that Christ gave us as his disciples was to love one another. In fact, in Romans 2, uh, there's this long passage uh, that we're just going to read a part of it. But he, he talks about that Christ draws us to repentance through his kindness. He says, don't, don't despise the kindness and forbearance and God's patience. Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And in that same way, when you and I are filled with Christ's love and we obey that command to love one another and we react to those around us, even those with whom we disagree, we react to them with love and with kindness and with patience. In that same way that God's kindness draws us to repentance, his kindness through us is going to be the change agent in the lives of those around us. That's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to be talking with Dave Dawson about a great program called Domestic Church. You're not going to want to miss it. Today's show is brought to you by an anonymous donor and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.